gospel lesson for today is from the 13th chapter of John. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am only with you a little bit longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I found out this week that I am woefully behind in making a bucket list. I didn't realize how early you're supposed to start. Apparently 11 years old is not too soon. In her plea to spend the night with a friend, our 11-year-old daughter told us, with all sorts of sincerity, that it has always been on her bucket list to spend the night with a friend on a school night. I had no idea she knew what a bucket list was, and certainly didn't know she'd been begun checking them all. Here's an item for your bucket list. Get involved with the ministries of our children and youth at this church. It would be good for you. One of the things it will do for you is remind us, remind you that everything old is new again. Years ago, I accompanied our confirmation class up to Lake Junaluska for their retreat. I knew better than to impose my generation's music on them as we were riding together. So I was surprised when I started hearing songs from the back of the van from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So surprised that finally I had to say, how do you know that music? They said, you know it? It's from Guitar Hero. I said gently, your video game did not invent that music. But I'm glad you discovered it. It reminded me of the time when I discovered the Drifters and made a point to my aunt that we liked the same old music from her generation. Everything old is new again. We say that when styles roll back around. I've never been one to follow the trends too closely. Skinny ties, fat ties, I just stay in the middle. Medium ties work for me. Much to my wife's chagrin, most of my clothes, in my opinion, belong in any decade. She'd disagree. That's not the case for everything, thankfully. I remember when my sister discovered our aunt's hip-hugging bell-bottoms. And I realize that some things have a short season every few generations, and that's enough. I like the perennials, things that can be worn year in and year out until they are worn out. Even good clothes get worn out at some point, but good ideas never do. We heard a portion of the story about Peter and the good idea God had for him. Peter was surprised to learn that God would have him go and, and meet with this Gentile and, and this vision that came to him about 
about eating things that he thought were unclean. And, and the conclusion of that story is when God says, don't call anything I made unclean. You go and be with them. And, and Peter explains to his friends who are questioning this decision that God had shown him that those people were good. And who was he to question people the Holy Spirit had kind of come upon? And so they were accepted. But it was a hard lesson for them to learn because it seemed to go against everything that they knew and, and experienced, everything that they had been taught, until they, hopefully, reflected back on Abraham, who was, before he was, the father of the Jews, an uncircumcised male, not part of the Jewish family, not part of the Jewish fold, because there was no such thing before Abraham. And yet God chose Abraham and, and did not call him unclean, but brought him in and made him the father of the faith. The faith that would eventually lead Peter to go and celebrate that these two would receive the Holy Spirit. God choosing others, including others who surprised us, is an ancient tale that became new again before Peter's eyes that day. Good ideas don't wear out. The book of Revelation points to a new day when a new heaven will come to a new earth and they'll join together when everything old will pass away, when God will dwell among God's people, wiping away all the tears, putting an end to death and grieving and pain for good when God announces that all things are made new. And we rejoice in that and we look forward to that and we take comfort that we can look forward to that. But when we look back to what God had done in the beginning, what God was up to from the start, we realize that this new heaven and new earth are really more like Eden 2.0, a restoration of what God intended from the beginning. Those stories in Genesis that speak of God walking around with, among Adam and Eve, knowing them well. Those stories that, that speak of their nakedness, which they don't realize is an issue until after they had eaten the forbidden fruit. Comfortable in their own skin, but so much more comfortable in their environment. Comfortable with their God. They didn't know death. They didn't know mourning, crying, pain before the fall. They only knew a very present God in the fullness of joy. The things this very new, renewed vision that Revelation points us toward. Good ideas never wear out. There's one more old thing made new in today's scripture, love. Jesus did not invent the command to love. God had already commanded it. Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Unless we seek to keep the love thing just among our people, Leviticus 19.34, the alien who resides among you shall be to you as the citizen. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. 
Leviticus moves into other commands, which are essentially the how-tos for loving neighbor, loving alien, how to practice love. It's not loving to cheat your neighbor. It's not loving to mistreat your family. It's not loving to do wrong by those who work for you. These are the details of the love commands. Still, by the time Jesus was gathering together his disciples, forming them into a new community, he felt the need to express this love command one more time, one new way. Love one another, he told us. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. For those who had not seen love as the guiding, orienting principle by which this community had formed, this was indeed a new commandment. For those who hadn't recognized in Jesus washing his disciples' feet, serving them, the symbol of what this new community would be like, of how his disciples will love one another, he made it plain. The old commandment to love is made new in the act of doing for another what some would think was beneath them. But what his disciples know is from above them. If Jesus is willing to do it, who are we to not be? One of the earliest outside observations made about Christians was See how they love one another. If we're wondering what people are watching for, it's that old thing, love, made new. There's a book called Out of Africa. You may have read it. It includes a scene that calls our attention to this type of thing. There's a man, a young man, who comes to ask the author for a job, and she hires him, is glad for his work, and things are going along well, he's doing a good job, until three months later when he comes and asks her to write a letter of reference for him to go to another employer. She says, if it's about money, I'll gladly pay you more to keep you around. He says, it's not the money. He said, before I came to you, I was trying to decide whether I wanted to be a Christian or a Muslim, and I thought that I would work for you three months and see how you live your faith, and then I'll go work for a Muslim for three months and see how he lives his faith, and then I'll decide which to become. She said she wished she had known that while he was working for her. The truth is, we are being observed, whether it's been announced to us or not. And while our faith is not predicated on perfection, the practice of love is our best witness. I witnessed love in our community the other night. A proud parent, I went to the Williams Middle School Awards night. Not surprisingly, for the second year in a row, our own Central's own Thomas Merzlach received the Accelerated Reader Award. He's accumulated 1,575 points so far this year. And if you don't know about AR, let me tell you, that is a whole lot. 
Thomas was even working on getting more points that night as he carried his book up to receive the award. The crowd got a chuckle out of that. We laughed harder, though, when the perfect attendance recipient did not show up to receive her award. (laughs) The biggest laugh and greatest applause, however, came for special needs students. We'd all been instructed not to cheer for individuals, only for groupings of students, and the crowd complied, and there were no outbursts throughout the night except from this special needs student. Despite wearing headphones to help him cope with the noise and the distractions in the room, he clearly heard everything that was going on, and and he would cheer out from time to time. He was most animated when Jacoby won his award, and from across the, the arena, he says, Hey, Jacoby! And when Jacoby didn't get there fast enough to receive his award, come on, Jacoby! It was as pure a sign of friendship as you could witness. It was love. And then more love from the audience when that same special needs student was named for an award. And against the rules of the night, the audience exploded into sustained cheering for him. Every student deserved their moment that night. But that particular student deserved the moment he got because of the ways that he displayed love. It's been said that this new command, the love command, is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed by how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. If you're ever wondering what it means to love another, maybe that Williams student, or some toddlers, or the people who are loved by them, could show you. But then again, we need look no further the man who knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. The one who gave love a new depth of meaning. The one whose good ideas never wear out. Let us pray. God, whose love is reigning over us, make your love reign in us. Renew our commitment to you and to one another, to the neighbor, the alien, to the inbreaking of a future kingdom where death and crying and pain are no more where we march toward mutual good, not war, where nothing, even storms, threatens, a time when we walk fully in your presence. We pray for peace with Iran. We pray for peace in Venezuela. We pray for those affected by the storms in our country and around the world. 
pray for our church and its ongoing witness to you and to your love. As we celebrate the love shown and offered through Central, we're especially grateful today for the Heritage members and their ongoing service. And as Reverend Piatala completes his ministry on the pastoral staff at Central, we're thankful for the many ways he has offered and demonstrated love among us. I thank you for what he has taught me, modeled for me, for how he has mentored and supported me. I thank you for the effective ministry he has given here and throughout the state. We pray your blessings on Tom and Glendy and their continued ministry of presence here in this congregation and community. For your never-failing presence and love, O God, we give you thanks in Jesus' holy name.